Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, everybody, I did it again. I was messing with different audio interfaces and changing around some settings and doing some MD4E testing and then jumped right into recording the Q&As just to find out more than half of the audio didn't come out correctly. It's 100% my fault, and I don't mind re-recording them, but what annoys me to death is that I love that these are meant to be laid back. These are meant to be me reading the questions in real time and not knowing what to expect and kind of having it feel or at least try to feel the same way you would if you slid up a chair next to me at a bar or a coffee shop or at an expo or something and uh, hopefully it's not going to feel too rehearsed because I already know what questions are coming but my apologies I like these to be genuine Um, so just a reminder to everybody any question you have wherever it is that you support just post the question in the latest Q&A post because I can't really figure out what's an old question or a new question on an old post but more importantly I like these to feel very natural and I love just scrolling through and kind of seeing what people have so hopefully this one will still come out all right and uh, I'll try to to still pump in the same amount of enthusiasm I normally would so sorry for screwing up again but here we go round two of uh, supporter Q&A number 225 first up is a couple of questions from Yrock first have I ever waited so long for one piece of tech to arrive that I lost something else I bought specifically to go with it Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yes. So there's a few answers to this. If you're just talking about like, oh, I have this thing and I just put a pre-order for that thing and I'm going to put them together. Yeah, that definitely happens. And it doesn't happen too often, luckily, but a couple times a year, I would think. Because remember, I get a lot of stuff through here that I get for testing. So it's not just, it's not even just stuff that I would buy for my own use. It happens as well. But when it comes to development stuff, that happens like monthly just about and on top of that with part shortage with everything with a lot of projects halfway through being finished not only does that happen to me all the time i have parts at jose's house i have parts at zach's house which those are gone forever i'm sure but so yeah that that definitely happens and not only that i had a while back a few things arrive that looked very similar so i you know put a clip on a couple of them to keep them together i put a bunch in a bag and the bag ripped and the clip popped off. So I have all of these things that look almost identical that I couldn't remember which went with what. So I just gave them all away. I think I gave them to Jose like, here, you figure it out or, or give it away to or whatever else. I just, I don't, I went and rebought them because it was not too expensive worth of stuff. It's just one of those things where I wouldn't even know where to begin at that point. So yes, I feel your pain. I read every word of your story. I've totally been there. I'm sure my fellow nerds and especially developers have been there before. 
And another technical question, what's the best way to use a composite video signal via the G-Comp switch? So it all depends on your setup. If you're going into the G-Comp out to, let's just say, a consumer CRT with both component and composite ins, and the RetroTINK 5X, which I think is your setup, then you would want to put the composite video cable in the yellow composite port. And I know that seems a little obvious, so give me a second for anybody that, that, that might be wondering why. But this way, you know, component video goes to component, composite goes to composite on both uh, and, and on both devices as well. So for the RetroTINK 5X, you would probably want to get one of those cheap composite to SCART adapters. Um, Mike offered them, I believe, for purchase uh, when uh, you originally bought them, but you could find them AliExpress, eBay, Amazon, whatever. There's no, it's just a pass-through, so you don't have to worry about voltage. They are directional, so make sure it's composite in to SCART out. But that way, when you have your setup all ready to go, all you have to do is just switch your inputs and on your TV and on your G, or sorry, on your TV and on your RetroTINK 5X and not worry about anything else. Now, you would have to split audio uh, with a Y cable, so that way the audio would go into both the component video audio inputs and the composite video audio inputs of both devices. But as I've proved many times, audio is safe to use with a Y cable, never video with a Y cable. So splitting it that way is fine. So why would I need to explain that if there's you know a yellow jack there for, for Wyrock or anybody else listening? Well, if you have a scenario like everything is going into your RetroTank 5X, you could run composite video through, I believe the green, hold on, I, have mine, I always have mine handy. Yes, the green port right here on whatever devices have composite video. That way you, only have to have one set of audio inputs. You wouldn't need the Y cables. You would still need to switch the RetroTINK 5X's inputs, but that's just one less thing to worry about. So you could do that, that should work, but in your specific setup or anybody like yours, I would definitely put component into component, composite into composite, and run the outs that way as well. I think you might be able to double up on the inputs that way too, but I, you'd have to test that yourself. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, fine. But um, I believe Super G put protections in for that. But then you'd have to worry about audio again. So I would, I would to start out at least, have each console have its own dedicated channel and just deal with the outputs the way I explained. So hopefully that made sense. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Redcrested Regal wants to know if they have the choice between owning the original version of Castlevania on the NES or the revision, which should they choose? The original version has a bug that crashes the game in stage 15, so they were wondering if this bug makes the revision 
the one that's the better one to own, or if they should just keep the original version with that cool old style Nintendo seal of quality. So my answer is going to be 100% an opinion, uh, and maybe with a, a fact sprinkled in here and there. And I don't know if it's going to apply to you or your setup at all, but I'm going to share it anyway, just because I think it's an interesting question. For me personally, I always want to own games that I really love, with some exceptions. I'm never spending $15,000 on Neo Turf Masters for the AES. If you want to call me a dirty pirate, that's fine. I'm never handing that amount of money over for a game like that. But when it comes to reason, I would do that. I spent a lot of money on the original Mega Man for the NES because I love that game. Dumbest artwork ever on the original one, but whatever. But I don't normally play original cartridges unless I need them for testing. So if I were in your situation, I would probably get the buggy one in case anybody ever needed me to test something related to that. Or on the flip side of things, I would also kind of take a look and see which one looked better on my shelf. So you mentioned the original one has the old school Nintendo seal of quality. I would probably pick that one just because I like the original artwork or whatever, because I normally just play on Mr. Orth via ROM carts, and I just want my favorite games just because I want them. You could totally think that's a dumb reason. That's fine. I have no problem with that, but that doesn't change the fact that I want them. So I would pick the one that looks cool up on my shelf because I'm not normally using the original cartridge. I just want to know that I own it. Um, but that's going to be completely up to you. There could be other reasons involved. If there are collectors out there, is there one version that's worth more than the other? Um, if you really want to have both for whatever reason, but you want to use the one with a cooler label, you could always buy both and swap the guts, but I would just put with like a sticky note that doesn't leave goop on it. I would just, or a painter's tape is good. I would leave a note on the back, like swapped guts put back before selling or whatever else, just so you don't mix and match them. So whoever gets it after you doesn't end up in that situation. So that's kind of, that's kind of my thoughts on it, but I do very often go after the broken stuff on purpose because it often helps with my testing. And in fact, one thing, sorry to make this about me, one thing that I've been looking for since I started Retro RGB was the worst version of the Super Nintendo Game Genie. There's one version that has the same tabs on the bottom that you would find in Super FX games like Star Fox. So it has the extra tabs and it causes issues with uh, um, certain SNES revisions. And it's not something I would recommend people own to use, but I've always wanted one to test why it's broken and just to have as a, a weird, neat piece of my collection. But I've never seen one in person ever, and no one on eBay puts pictures of the bottom of these things anywhere. So I stopped looking after a while. I still, whenever I go to expos, I'll poke through or, you know, I go to stores that I know. But so if anybody has one of those that they want to sell me for a reasonable price, I would absolutely love to own it because it's broken. So... Um, as for you, Red Crested Briegel, make whatever decision you think fits your setup best. And if my answer and opinion doesn't apply to you at all, then uh, I'm sorry for wasting a couple of minutes of your time. But it was an interesting question. Jason Sherman wanted to chime in on the discussion we were talking about last week of normalizing GC video solutions. So you have a GC video adapter that plugs into the back of your GameCube or maybe even one of the internal based ones. You plug it into your TV or capture card and it either doesn't work or you don't get audio or you get video dropouts. And I talked about using HDMI splitters and stuff like that to try to normalize the signal. And Jason reminded me that the M Classic can very often solve this issue. 
They said that they've had displays exhibit strange tearing and also had displays just blanked out with enhanced DVI enabled. But when they take their GameCube somewhere, they just bring the M Classic and they haven't had a problem with it yet. For what it's worth, they don't have strong feelings about the M Classic's impa- impact on video quality, but it has turned out to be a good tool for compatibility. So thank you for reminding me about that, because I know a lot of people bought the M Cable and M Classic, and I often don't speak highly of it, only because of their often shady marketing. I'm just being blunt about that. But there are many good use cases for it. I still think in lots of cases, 720p looks great with the smoothing. The uh, retro mode, I think, works pretty well depending on certain situations, and I think this is one of those situations. So I would not recommend somebody running out and spending 100 bucks on this just to normalize your GameCube. But if you have multiple uses for it, or if you like the effect that it has on some GameCube games, sure, absolutely. The other thing I want to add is that it won't take away from the experience. It does not add lag. And not only did I test it with the Time Sleuth, I also tested splitting video output and using it with the um, 240p test suites uh, clock and a high-speed camera. Because one of the things that people had told me p- politely, not you know actually douchey in the comments, um, was that a lot of the devices that run on similar chipsets detect the signal that's coming in and then apply the filtering. So it could be possible that it wouldn't apply, it wouldn't start working uh, based on the signal the time sleuth sends. So I wanted to have something with everything on the screen moving like the 240p test suite, still zero lag. So feel free to use it no matter what, knowing that it's not going to add latency. Um, If you like the effect that it does, cool. But like Jason was nice enough to remind us, if you end up normalizing your signal, then it's a, just a win for everybody. Hey, everybody. Just a quick reminder that if you like what you're listening to and if you like the other content, the behind the scenes development we're a part of, the videos, the website, please consider supporting in any way possible. The monthly support services are what keeps all of this stuff going. However, if you're not in a position to support that way, spreading the word is also incredibly helpful. And also buying the same exact stuff you were going to buy anyway from Amazon and eBay at the same prices, but clicking through the affiliate links on retrorgb.com forward slash support would be a help as well. There were a few people who had some very nice gestures over the years and bought a bunch of stuff for their job through that and used the click through link to help out. And all of that stuff adds up at no cost to you either. So thank you all very much. Sorry for the shameless self-promotion, but wanted to throw that one in here uh, so I could end up hopefully getting a little more funding to buy more audio interfaces to screw up more (laughs) Q&As. Cam said last year there was a post on RetroRGB about a new 4x3 LCD panel by LG called the Arcuda 17750 that was brought to market as a drop-in replacement for arcades. They're available now, though there aren't any U.S. distributors, so you have to import them from China or Australia. The only video online about them is by the manufacturer, but it does go through unboxing, setup, the on-screen display, and does show gameplay. It supports resolutions from 240p to 1080p, and they advertise a 6.5 millisecond pixel response time. Without access to other real data, like time slew flag testing, they know it's difficult to say, but what are my thoughts on this as a display for a home Mr. Multicade project? Can I think of anything other than a CRT that would be better for a project like this? Well, I have a couple of answers. First and foremost, I, I will talk about the panel in a second, but I think the more important question to ask you, Cam, is, is this going to be used 
just for a Mr. Cade project? Or is this also going to be used with other arcade boards? Because if you're really only going to use it for Mr. Cade, Raspberry Pi, Groovy Arcade, whatever else, then I really wouldn't worry about arcade stuff. I would use any panel that you would like, um, any low latency panel that looks good. It's got, you know, less motion blur and, and heck, even building it into uh, an existing arcade or, or even building one that just masks the sides of a 16 by nine monitor. You know, I hate wasting stuff, but I'd rather see you waste some screen space on a monitor than waste a ton of money building something JAMA based that you don't need to. You could go just HDMI out into it and get a good USB controller adapter or something like that. So if you're only going to use it for Mr., I wouldn't bother with this. I would get any other monitor that is really good for gaming. And I would also make sure that it was something that looks good with scanline filters if that's what you're into. Um, now, on the flip side, if you're saying you have an arcade system that you want to keep using with JAMA, would I recommend this? And if form and function are okay, for the 300-ish bucks, sure, give it a try. It's going to be much easier than trying to uh, move a new CRT in there. Maybe the scan lines filters will look good. Maybe you don't care about those, which is also cool. That's just a preference. So yeah, maybe give it a try. But, you know, when you start walking down that road, it's it's really, is this the performance that you're looking for? Because 6.5 milliseconds pixel response time, let's just say for a moment that that's the reading we get with a time sleuth. The best way that I could describe it, for me personally at least, maybe your eyes are going to be different, but I could take those cheap LCD panels. And you all know the ones I'm talking about, the old Dell monitors like I have temporarily holding a place in my CRT wall back there. Those are very low latency measured on a time sleuth, but there's so much ghosting and motion blur that if you take one of those monitors, which, you know, let's just call it 6.5 milliseconds of latency, and you put it next to an LG OLED with BFI mode on, that's, I believe, 20 milliseconds of latency or 19 or something like that. I feel the latency on the LCD panel more than the OLED, even though they're both solid. It's not variable latency. And there is measurably more on the OLED, but there's less motion blur. So my reaction times feel different. The whole, the overall look and feel of it seems much better on the OLED because of the least amount of motion blur. Now, I am not a pro gamer. Uh, I have friends that are, and I would love to do that test with them to see their opinions. Some have already kind of agreed with me on this. Others said they would need to see it for themselves, which is always the right answer. So I'd love to run that test, but... For me personally, if I was going to take the time to actually build an arcade machine, build something that looks and feels like one, I'd want to make sure that I was spending all of my money in the absolute best places I could. So doing something like maybe if I needed to use a flat panel, maybe picking up a super gun and a scaler and picking up a good panel to match, maybe a 1440p panel or something like that, maybe that would be an overall better move that could potentially even be cheaper overall, depending on how much work you want to put into it. So that's really going to be up to you to decide. Um, but it's a really interesting. The panel itself seems pretty interesting, and I would love to be able to test it. So if anybody's affiliated with the company, I never ask for anything for free, but it would be nice if you shipped it over, let me do some testing, and then I'll just ship it on to the next reviewer or something like that. So yeah, it'd be very cool to try out, but it's just, it would be really hard to give that advice. Um, 
Unless the panel-based advice. The only one that I would stick to for this is if you're only using a mister or if you want it with also other JAMA boards or something like that. So totally up to you, but hopefully I at least added some perspective. George Steinholm had a question, and I'm not 100% sure I got the question right. So uh, I'll just read through it, and then hopefully I'll be able to give you the correct answer. But they just bought a Sony PVM14N5E which they're going to install a mod re-enabling RGB natively, since that's a PVM that only had composite and S-Video from the factory. Since they have a wide range of sources, which I believe they're thinking about all of the different consoles they have, they've also been thinking about putting a GBSC all-in-one in between for streamlining purposes, but you might mean streaming purposes there. Autocorrect is a bitch, huh? <laughs> uh, then they would hook up newer sources via HDMI, to VGA into one of the VGA inputs of the GBSC IO, AIO, component sources or a core U for composite sources into the component input and RGBS through the SCART input. Do I have any suggestions? And are there any benefits to downscaling 480p to 240p for OG Xbox? So if you're talking about putting it in between for streaming purposes or, or for just making it easier to switch between stuff, then I think everything that you just said is great. The only thing you might want to think about is how to route the stuff. Do you use a matrix switch? Do you use the ins and outs of the PVM? So like you mentioned, uh, composite video sources. So I, you would go composite into the monitor, then take composite out of the monitor into a core U transcoder, which would then go component in of the GBSC all in one. So that all sounds pretty cool that all, uh, you might be able to use some tricks like that to be able to, to kind of make it easier to connect all of this stuff at once and have simultaneous outputs or, or not. You could just leave your monitor powered off if you just want to go digital. Um, and on your other question, are there any benefits to downscaling 480p to 240p for original Xbox? If you already have this thing set up, what I would suggest is just trying it with any game that feels retro. Now, feels retro is obviously 100% subjective and doesn't really mean shit. So <laughs> you're going to have to decide for yourself what you think about this one. But if you have a shooter on the Xbox or anything that feels like it would be at home on an 80 or 80s or 90s console, give that a try and see if you like it. If you do, awesome. If not, it might have been fun to just run the experiment. But that's kind of my thoughts on all game all games from the 480p era on up that feel retro. If you have the ability to downscale it, it's worth giving it a try once or twice just to see what happens. Does it downscale evenly? Does it look good? Would it look better with scan lines on a, you know, running it through something else? It's totally up to you to decide, but I do absolutely think it's worth trying, but the only benefit would be aesthetic. And of course, playing on a CRT because you get no lag and no motion blur, but uh, that's pretty much it. There's no other reason other than if you think it's cool, I guess. So please let me know if I got your questions right, or I guess if I don't hear from you, I got your questions right. If I screwed it up, please re-ask and uh, I'll try to do better next week. Oliver Clare has a pretty detailed question. Um, I read every word of it, but I'm just going to summarize it just in the interest of everybody's time. They have an Extron Crosspoint matrix switch, and they want to make sure they're hooking up power correctly. It has a standard PC-style power input, so what you would find on most PCs and just tons and tons of other equipment that you've seen. And on the back of the unit, it's listed as 100 to 240 volts, 50, 60 hertz, 1.2 amp max. So 
is there anything to worry about? And the answer is not only is there nothing to worry about, you have less to worry about than a lot of other scenarios. Um, so first and foremost, please correct me if I'm wrong, if anybody, if anybody thinks so, but I am so close to 100% sure about this that uh, I feel comfortable saying that. I'm pretty sure any device that has a PC style plug can use any AC style just line cord along with it. I don't think it ever needs to be matched up. Um, especially if it's three prong to three prong. I think sometimes you wouldn't, if you had a three prong input on a device, you wouldn't want to use a two prong to three prong cable if possible. But other than that, the only thing you would have to ever worry about with stuff like that is would it be safe to use in your region? But that would, that's not cable related. That's connector on the end of the wall related. Because yours says 100 to 240 volts, 50, 60 hertz, I think that means that you could just use any AC line cord from around the planet and plug it into any outlet and you should be totally fine. That's really the only thing you have to worry about. And it's also why when I'm using devices that aren't like, not like a, a, a beefy PSU on a computer or not like really nice speakers or an amp, if I'm just plugging different devices in, I have a box of those AC line cables that I just, I never worry about where it came from. That's it. It just, I could use it with absolutely everything and I wouldn't worry about it. The only other thing I think is the 1.2 amp max stamp that it has on it. That might just simply mean that this is not going to draw any more power, no matter what, than 1.2 amps. So if you're in something like a video distribution room and you have to plan your power very carefully, you don't have to worry about, or you could just factor that into your spreadsheet of how much power you need on each power strip on each line for your circuit breaker, which is not something that most of us at home would have to deal with, including people that are building giant retro gaming rooms. I think that's really meant for industrial use. So you don't have 20 of those plugged into the same, you know, uh, into the same circuit breaker slot as 50 PVM monitors or something like that. So it's a good question. Please, somebody correct me if you think I'm wrong about this, but I just, I can't ever imagine a scenario in which you would have to worry about using a line plug as long as region matches. So, you know, it doesn't really matter if you're US or UK, 100 to 240 volts, 50, 60 hertz means it should work fine on both. But once again, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I'm pretty confident about that one. I see some posts here from Jesse Brown, but it looks like they were a reply to another comment. And I saw another comment listed as comment deleted. So I just wanted to mention this for two reasons. First, I never delete any of your comments on any of the support services, period. In the rare scenario in which somebody posts the wrong thing in the wrong spot, I would reach out to them and usually either request that they move it or I would answer the question and then delete it after I answered the question. So I never delete anybody's comments on this. Um, you know, Patreon just laid off like a third of their staff, so I'm not going to bother emailing them because I'm sure I'm not going to get a response anyway. And also, I wanted to mention this, Jesse, because I didn't want you to think I, I blew off any of the stuff that you wrote. I just, I can't figure out what you were talking about it because it seems like replies to others. Uh, so please just, you know, re-ask next week or you can always just message me directly if you need to. So sorry about that. Two questions from Jason Guffey. First, what do I suggest as far as weighing down or stabilizing lightweight devices that are easily moved by heavy cables, stuff like the OSSC or the RetroTank 5X? 
So great question, but I always go with cable management. And to be clear, I do not mean that super OCD slash artwork cable management where everything's absolutely flawless and perfect. I love that. I think that's awesome. I love it when my friends send me the nerd pics of them going all OCD out on that. I have a huge appreciation for it, but that's impossible with that setup back here. Everything's getting switched around all the time. And there's no way I would be able to do that. I would spend 50% of my time wiring. However, cable management doesn't necessarily mean super neat. I have a lot of the cables, especially the thicker ones, looped over one of the uh, some of the poles that are near it going into the device that I'm plugging it into. And then if there's even some kind of shifting, I'll throw some twist ties or a zip tie or something on there. And I had the exact scenario that you're describing with that HDMI matrix switch that I just reviewed a while back in that video, where I put that on top of my amp, which is just off camera right now. It was perfect, but the giant HDMI cables I used would kind of pull it backwards ever so slowly. So I could have tacked that down. I could have like zip tied it around the whole amp or something like that. But one problem when you do that is the cables will sometimes slowly back themselves out which if they back themselves all the way out and you get no signal, cool, because it's very few things that you need to troubleshoot, but that's never my luck. My luck is always the cables back out just enough to cause dropouts, pops, clicks, interference, and then because I do so much dev work, I'm always chasing whatever thing I'm testing, assuming that's the issue. So if you're going to secure the device at all, make sure to still secure the cables, otherwise that craziness might run into, or you might run into that as well. So yeah, I would go with the cables first and kind of go from there on that. Um, second, it's kind of a rabbit hole. They have a Windows 10 PC set up on their desk and they would like to use 5.1 sound or at the very least 2.1 with a sub. They've been using the motherboard's built-in 3.5 audio jacks for output, but they've heard consistently that using any native digital signal would be better though this doesn't apply to them since their audio receiver units are vintage and analog only. Even though their PC PSU is decent, the onboard audio can't seem to adequately drive their center and unpowered sub-channels. So do I think they should get an external amplifier that could do it, get a powered sub, or possibly get a better sound card? So this is interesting, and this is going to also go down a rabbit hole, and I'm going to have a whole video on this at some point relatively soon. I have a lot of little things I got to finish up first, then I'll get back into making videos. Hopefully they'll actually get views. Um, but I do have kind of a strong opinion on this. If you had said you specifically want surround sound, you only use, you know, this PC setup for games that have surround sound. Maybe you watch the movies on it. I, I would have a slightly different answer, but you mentioned specifically, or at the very least 2.1 with the sub. So your first question is, do you need surround sound? One of the videos that I'm going to be working on is how awesome two-channel audio is. And if anybody can think of a really good clickbait thumbnail, I, I need to get more people clicking on these videos. But I was going to do something like upgrading from 5.1 to 2.0 or something really dumb with me looking at the screen. But the point, as clickbaity as it might sound, does have some merit to it. Because like I talked about a few times before, whenever I talk about audio, the words for the price are always in there. And I guarantee even people who love surround sound will agree that as long as you choose the correct equipment, if you're buying new, 
you could get a 2.0 setup that sounds so much better than a 5.1 setup if you're spending the same exact amount of money on it because you're only buying two speakers, you're buying an amp that only has to handle two channels, not five channels. So if I were you, I would first answer the question, what is your priority? Is it music and games that are mostly two channel and then surround sound last, or is your first priority surround sound? If your first priority is two-channel, I would absolutely get yourself two shielded bookshelf speakers. If you're on a budget, just go to whatever thrift store you could find and buy a bunch and, and wave them in front of your monitor until, because uh, I know you had a bunch of CRTs, so make sure that they're shielded. Um, or if your setup is nowhere near any of your uh, CRTs, you can just get any bookshelf speakers. I love the Elax. Um, those are really good for the money. Once again, you could just Go to the you know a thrift store and grab anything at that point if you don't need shielded, and then get yourself a good two-channel amp. You mentioned you have a bunch of vintage amps already, so that's kind of perfect. However, if you need a new one, I strongly feel still to the, after all of the ones that I've been listening to lately that NAD two-channel amp is the best two-channel amp for the price <laughs> that I've ever heard. I've clearly heard way better amps, but right now, today, 2022, buying a two-channel amp, I don't know of one that sounds better than that for the same amount of money. Um, in fact, not for almost double the money. So I think that's important. And if you do that, then you're reliant on a DAC to get the audio out properly. So at that point, what I would buy is probably by the ship Modi. And I'm not swearing that's actually the name of it because you could just plug that directly into your PC. It'll work as a sound card and it has excellent, excellent digital to analog conversion. So you buy the ship Modi. I'll leave a link for that in the description. You plug that into your vintage amp, you get two nice bookshelf speakers and you will have an absolutely awesome, awesome setup. If you want to go to 5.1 surround, uh, what I would do at that point is I would look for whatever speaker setup you want to invest in first. They have uh, some decent all-in-one packages and just try to find ones that have a digital audio input because you're taking that sound and converting it to analog when it goes to the speakers anyway. So if you're on a budget, try to get the SPDIF output of your computer into the digital in and then just let that do the conversion. And I'm sure it'll do a perfectly fine job. Audio is subjective. There are different tiers. Uh, I try to talk about entry level to mid level because once you get past mid level and mid level can go up to a couple of grand, by the way, but once you get past mid level, then it, you know, it just gets so ridiculous. It's like talking about supercars. So I, I kind of just try to, to skip over that and let the real experts go and, and tell you what's snake oil and what's actual high end audio, but surround sound. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, I, I, that's the way I would start going about doing it or, uh, instead of getting like a PC setup, I would just try to go to get a cheap 5.1 channel amp and just go digital audio from your PC into the amp or, or figures or, or maybe HDMI into the amp or something like that, depending on how far you want to go with this. But uh, the only other things to mention, um, I don't know why the analog outputs of your PC aren't powering your center channel speaker, but analog outputs of PCs are really meant to power just PC speakers. And, and really that's it. Um, you know, there also, I guess you can get like from the analog outs of your computer to the analog ins of those 
Klipsch or, or whatever Logitech 5.1 surround setups that that would be fine because they're kind of meant for that, uh, but not really in any other setup. And also for subwoofers, um, uh, there's got to be an audio file out there listening that would help confirm. But it is my opinion that even low to mid range equipment, just buy a powered sub always don't rely on an amp because then you start getting down the road of a lot of different rabbit holes of stuff. So even my setup here, which I think is a solid mid tier setup still has a powered subwoofer over in the corner. Um, and I think that really kind of, you get into a lot different types of audio and amps and all that other stuff. And, you know, if you wanted to build your own and mix and match cool, but then you're also talking about um, EQs and crossovers. And I just really like, using powered subs and not thinking about it. So that's kind of all my thoughts on it. And I guess a little mini preview of, you know, why I think 2.0 channel sometimes can be an upgrade. Cause I mean, if you think about it, right, if you drop a thousand bucks on two awesome bookshelf speakers, a really good two channel amp and whatever, you know, good, not crazy price, but not crap cables and you plug them together. It's does. I mean, it makes perfect sense why that would make a better sound experience that in most cases than spending the same thousand dollars on a five or seven channel amp and five and seven speakers and a subwoofer, you, your dollar goes a lot more uh, for less in that scenario. And hopefully I'll, I'll have a video out that kind of proves that a little bit more, but hopefully I at least point you in the right direction. Eli Wood 15 wants to know, based on my experience with soldering tools, what's the best way to measure and prevent leak voltage on the soldering iron? They've seen that this could be a potential risk when working with ICs, since it could kill them without any visible damage. They've read that the soldering station's quality and age could contribute to this, but they wanted to know if I've had any experience with it, or if it's even common. I personally have never had experience with this, so I might not be the right person to answer the question, but I will share my thoughts on it at least. When I first started Retro RGB and I got back into soldering, I used whatever was in my drawer of junk tools that I had, including an old uh, soldering iron that was actually a wood burner, not a soldering iron, which is kind of hilarious. But previously, for years before that, I just used whatever was at my job. And then I kind of got into using the same equipment that other modders were using at the time. And then because other modders were using it, anytime there was an issue, you'd kind of hear immediately because people would start talking about it. And ever since I switched to the Kesker soldering iron that uh, Voltar found years ago, I'll leave a link to the tools section for all that stuff. I've never had a problem at all, nor have I ever heard of anybody having a problem with any kind of leak voltage or anything like that. So while I certainly can't give you a good answer, what I can say is that buying equipment that a lot of other people are using is always a good thing because... That way, if one person has a problem, you could kind of just throw that question out there and see if other people are having it. The only other thing I would add is that if you are looking to use this on a daily basis, you know, you're becoming a pro modder, you need this for another job that you're doing, whatever else, I, that is when I would contact a company like Heiko, ask them that question, and then buy what they recommend that's the most protective for that, or buy their, their base station, but buy a new one every two years, or send it in for servicing, or whatever they suggest. 
Um, because that's really the big advantage of spending the money on, on the higher end stuff is you get good support and you're able to ask these questions where I would love to see your response. If you emailed Kesker and asked them about that, they probably wouldn't even know what that is. So, or maybe they would, I, I don't know. Maybe they're awesome. Maybe they're just as good, but they do look like more of a generic company selling this stuff. So while I don't think I answered your question, hopefully I could at least provide some, uh, some perspective on that to help point you in the right direction. Well, that's it for this time. The uh, The sun came out halfway through recording this for the second time, so maybe that's a sign that my luck's going to turn around. And you know what's funny is uh, two days in a row I've had luck like that. I did some touch-up painting here in the office, and I thought I had the right paint, but I must have gotten one that was just a hair different color. So uh, this morning I woke up to see if the paint dried correctly, and they looked like highlighter marks all over the, the room from where I was doing touch-ups because the paint was just like two shades brighter than what was there. And you can't really tell when you're doing touch-ups, obviously, because it's wet and it looks brighter. So between the uh, the first Q&A recording screw-up and now, I, I went back and tried to do some more touch-ups and it looks less embarrassing than it was. So yeah, just, you know, some bad luck the past couple days, I guess. But hopefully the Q&A still felt natural because I really do want these to, to feel just like a fun hangout session. So Anyway, as always, thank you so much to everybody who supports in any way possible, and thanks to people who participate in these, and uh, I will see you all next week, hopefully only once. <laughs>